If you're standing at home, good for you. Welcome uh, to those here. Welcome to those online. This is a weird season. We have folks that are in this room that are comfortable gathering in this room, and, and I'm glad you're here. And we have folks at home that aren't comfortable being here, and I'm glad you're joining online. There is a, a lot of different ways to navigate this season. So thanks for being here. In whatever way you are here, I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is Brad. I think I've met most of you. If I haven't, send me an email or talk to me afterwards, whatever. I'm not that scary. Uh, we do have a, a bit of tension in this room right now. We have a Seahawk jersey there, Cam Chancellor, and a Green Bay Packers sweater right here. This is the NFC Championship, just so you know. Go Pack. Um, oh, Aaron Rodgers, man, he's good. Hey, have you ever watched a TV show or a movie or read a book or something where you go, man, I'm this character? Have you ever done that? I do it all the time. Have you ever watched The Office and then, then try and think, I'm totally Jim, I'm totally Pam. No way in God's earth am I Dwight. We're Dwight. We have it in us. Or uh, we watch 30 Rock and we go, I am so Liz Lemon. No, you're Tracy. All these characters that we want to identify with. If you watch The West Wing, you want to be Sam, Josh, or President Bartlett. You don't want to be Will Bailey. He ruined the show. If, if you watch Sherlock Holmes, you want to be Sherlock. You don't want to be Watson. If you watch Friends, you want to be Rachel, not Janice. You want to be Jerry, not George. Who wants to be George? We want to be Jerry. That's a Seinfeld reference for Dylan, who is way too young for Seinfeld, which is really sad. We want to be the hero, don't we? In all of the movies that we watch, we want to be the hero. We never want to be the awkward person. But we do the same thing when it comes to Scripture. We pick the heroes in Scripture we want to be. We want to be Gideon. And we want to be Gideon when he's standing up against this army that outnumbers him and he's breaking the jars and he's invading. We want to be Gideon there. But we don't want to be Gideon like 10 verses earlier when he's struggling horribly with doubt. We want to be David when he's uh, on top of Goliath with his sword finishing off the battle. We don't want to be David when he's caught in sin. We're like, oh no, nothing like David. I don't do that. We want to be Moses when he's parting the Red Sea with his staff. We don't want to be Moses when he's beating the rock out of anger. We want to be Peter and John as they're running to the tomb. But most likely, we're a lot like Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap, but we're a lot like Thomas, and we are full of doubt. We like to identify with the nice characters in Scripture. I do it too. We like to identify with them because they look good. Today, I want us to look at a person in the, in the Christmas story in Matthew 2 who we really don't want to identify with. But if we're honest, we really do. We don't want to identify with Herod. No, 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 no. We don't want to be Herod. But deep down, Herod has something that controlled his life that if we're not careful, will control ours. And when it controls just one section of your life, it'll control every single part of your life. He only gets one or two mentions in scripture here and then uh, around the story of John the Baptist when John the Baptist confronted him. There's several Herods and the Herod that we see in scripture is a man named Herod Antipas. He was a horribly complex person like we all are. 
Herod was controlled by this thing that we say we don't have, this thing called fear. He was fearful of anyone and everyone who would threaten his rule. So we looked at the Magi last week and how they sought after the star, but the star led them to Jesus. So when the Magi come to him, to Herod, automatically he's worried. He's fearful. They're searching for the king of the Jews. And we'll learn a little bit more about Herod's story. But when Herod finds out there's a threat, fear captures him again. The more we understand Herod, the more we can understand our fear and how it dominates us and most importantly, how it pulls us away from Jesus. Herod had many fears. One of the fears was fear of losing power. And the more you understand about Herod, the more you understand about why we need to go easy on him a little bit. Yes, he made tons of mistakes. He was a horrible king. But when you understand it, you can kind of see why it got that way. Herod was a confused individual. Racially, he was Arab. Religiously, he was Jewish, but even that was a technicality. He was only religiously Jewish and the king of the Jews because he grew up in a place when, when that was taken over by a Jewish uh, military guy in 135 BC and made everyone become Jewish. So thus, Herod's family was Jewish. So technically, he's religiously Jewish. Racially, he's from a place in Arabia. Throw another complexity on it. He's culturally Greek. So racially Arab, religiously Jewish, culturally Greek, because the Greek culture that day was taken over by uh, Alexander the Great and Hellenization took over. So Herod knows Greek art, knows the Greek religion. He knows the Greek language. Culturally, he's Greek. And he attempted several times to make Jerusalem a Greek city. So now he's racially Arab, religiously Jewish, culturally Greek, and politically Roman. You see how confusing this man might be? He's a confused, fearful individual. He pledged loyalty to Caesar. He said, I'm with you. I will be on your side, whatever you want. And then therefore, Caesar kept him as the ruler of Palestine. He wasn't the first choice as king. In fact, Herod's first, uh, he was maybe third or fourth in line. His dad was named Herod too, was a family name. His dad wanted his brothers, this is a fun one, Aristobulus and Alexander to be king after he died. But when those two were executed, when they, did, when they, when they passed, the, fa the father was automatically, okay, Antipas, since those two are dead, you can be king. And so it was a reluctant uh, kingdom that he had. And then later his dad tried to change his mind and said, you know what? I would rather have Archelaus be king. And so now I'm going to take this away from you and give it to him. And it was only until Caesar Augustus came along and said, no, I can control Antipas a little bit more than I can control Archelaus. I want Antipas. And so this whole time he was fighting for something to prove he was fighting to make himself relevant. He was battling with his identity. He was a fearful man, confused politically, socially, racially, religiously, confused where he belonged in his family. And he had to earn his identity and he feared that he might lose it. He was fearful of his family. All in all, he had 10 wives. When one of his sons, uh, when one of his sons became his rivals, he had them executed. 
both of them. Later, he had suspicions about his wife, so he had her killed. And then the story goes that he would wander the halls of the palace asking where she was. He killed her because of fear. And then when the, when the servants would come back to him and say, we can't find her, I imagine they drew lots to see who would go tell them this, that servant was beaten. This man was a deeply troubled man. Towards the end of this life, he grew ill with what doctors think was now intestinal cancer. One day, he had the crown prince arrested because there was a threat that he would take over. Towards the end of his life, he was in great pain one night, and the rumor flying around the kingdom was that he killed himself. It got word to the crown prince in the dungeon downstairs, and now he wanted to take over. When Herod heard about this, he recovered, he had the crown prince executed. And then five days later, Herod died. He was afraid of insignificance. He was afraid of people forgetting about him. So right before he died, he made a rule that he was going to uh, execute all of the celebrities in the land, like the most popular ones. That way people would cry when he passed. So he had them all imprisoned in Jericho. Luckily it wasn't carried out, but he had the plan that people would mourn his loss or him going away. Herod was a troubling, troubling man. Have any of you have ever played the game King of the Mountain? No? Okay, I get one nod from Aaron Rodgers back here. The, the King of the Mountain game, where you stand on top of this mound. We used to play this in a whole bunch of horribly inappropriate games that you can't play now. But we used to play this in growing up. You stand on top of a high place, and your friends try and knock you off. And you push them back. And the longer you stay on top of the hill, the more you are king. That kind of mindset was Herod. He feared anyone knocking him off of his high place. But here's the thing with Herod. We're all like him. And that fear kept Herod from recognizing Jesus when he had the chance to see Jesus. And our fears will do the same to us. Whether we see it or not, our lives are surrounded by fear. Think about it. Our world is full of fear. And there are some valid things to be afraid of. There are some good fears to have, and fear should cause us to be wise. The headlines in our society scream fear every chance they get. Even before 2020, our headlines were all fear-based. The economy, now we fear uh, everything around us politically, the virus. We fear countries going to war. We fear being sued. We fear going broke. We fear losing. One country is collecting weapons the way I used to collect baseball cards growing up. Home defense sales have skyrocketed. Fear is everywhere. Now don't mishear me. Fear can have an appropriate place. I want Judah to be afraid of running into the street. That's a good fear to have. I want him to be afraid of the Ford F-150 coming speeding by. That's great. I want Caleb to fear jumping off of high places. That kid has no fear. I want him to be a little hesitant whether or not he's going to jump off the countertop. I want him to think about that twice. But here's what I don't want. I don't want them dominated by fear. Fear can have a healthy function. Fear triggers the fight or flight uh, mechanism in all of us. It tells us that there's a potential danger. A surgeon general's warning on whatever product should cause fear in us that we shouldn't smoke a pack of those a day. Fear is a good thing. 
it, that we shouldn't be foolish. Fear is the appropriate reaction that we have if the building's on fire or if there's a nasty dog growling in the corner. Fear is good for us. However, we can't build our life on the foundation of being fearful. When we do, we live a life dominated by fear. It may fill our world, but fear doesn't need to command our hearts. It's not that it's, oh, it's not just 2020 that fear has taken over. In 2001, 19 years ago, there was a study done and the article said, now mind you, this is 19 years ago. Some of you weren't born. This is 19 years ago. And it said this, 19 years ago, psychiatric patients carried less fear than children did in 2001. In 1950, the psychiatric patients carried less fear. Fear. Psychiatric patients in 1950s were dealing with some horrible things. They had a lot to be afraid of. In 2001, we were more afraid than they were. And it's just grown since then. It's almost like at some point in our lives, fear decided to rent the house next door to us and sign a hundred year lease. And then it took over the entire street and it's ruined the neighborhood because fear and love can't live on the same street. You can't be happy and be fearful. You can't be merciful and be fearful. You can't be loving and scared at the same time. One author pointed out, that fear can't write a symphony, fear can't write a poem, fear can't negotiate a peace treaty, fear never pulled anyone out of poverty, fear can never cure bigotry, and fear never saved a marriage or promoted a business. What does those things? Courage, faith, and love. You can't love if you're fearful. Why? Love is risky. How many of you have been hurt by love? Love is risky. Generosity and fear don't mix because true generosity is giving something and hoping that you, uh, that you are not hoping that you get something back. If I'm fearful, I give something and I want return. I want a return of investment. So fear, to, fear and generosity can't mix. I can't dream if I'm afraid because of what if my dreams sputter and fall flat? Our fear has caused us to worship safety. So, like Herod, we've put up these walls around us. We've dealt with the threats. Anyone comes at us, we want to kill it. We've kept people away. We've kept ourselves away. And we start to make excuses. Fear has kept us from living the life that God wants for us. And here's Herod. Fearful. His whole life was built around this identity and this self-palace built around protection. The Magi come, they visit him and tell him that there's a new king of the Jews. And in Matthew 2, he says this, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Not only Herod was disturbed, look, and all of Jerusalem with him. A fearful ruler will lash out. And so Herod's scared. They know what happens when Herod's scared. People die. And the, the word disturbed there means to agitate, to struggle, or to, to, to agitate, to trouble, to strike one spirit with fear and dread. And so Herod is that way. And if you know anything about history, this sends Herod down the tailspin and he ends up murdering children. Fear motivated that. 
when he had called them in verse 4, he had called the, together all the people and the chief priests and the teachers in the law, and they asked him where this Messiah would be born. You can see the wheels of fear turning in him. You can sense his panic. His past shows that this isn't going to be good. Everyone is afraid. He's defensive. His fear caused him to look inwardly. And he's trying to get back on top of this mountaintop where he is king and smack down any kind of threat. And he's blinded. And before we say we don't do that, take a breath. We all do it in some way. It's no wonder that at every chance Jesus gets, he wages a war against fear. Fear gives us this sort of spiritual amnesia, and this is why Jesus isn't a fan of it. It makes us forget who God is, what God has done, and that God will do it again. It makes us forget all of this. Remember the story of the disciples in the boat. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark. Jesus, it's in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus had just finished, uh, I think he cured leprosy. And then he cast out a demon, and now he's tired. It was a whole bunch of demons, by the way. And now he's tired, and he says, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. So they all climb into the boat in Matthew chapter 8. They push off, and he's with a bunch of fishermen. Everyone knows how to sail, except for Matthew. He's a tax collector, so he's probably just in the back counting everything and trying to figure out who he can arrest. But this is Matthew. And so he, out of nowhere, as they're on the lake... A storm comes up. Suddenly a large storm is how it's said. The word that's used to describe it is seismic. What do we use the word seismic for? Earthquakes. This was an earth-shattering storm. It's the biggest storm that they've ever seen. And we know the story well. If you went to Sunday school, you get it. Where's Jesus? Sleeping in the stern, the back of the boat. He's napping. He probably has the burlap bag as a pillow, not the greatest pillows, but it's the best. But he's curled up in a ball, napping. And the disciples panic. In verse 25, chapter 8, they come running. Lord, save us, we're drowning. Mark's, Mark's story, Mark's gospel puts a different spin on it. He says in his version, the disciples ask, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing here? It's a little bit more dramaticism to it, right? Notice they don't ask him to still the storm. Instead, they panic, and they, they, they even ask if he knows about the storm. Do you even know what's going on? What are you doing? They forgot. Their fear caused them to forget. The disciples' fear did for them what our fear does for us. It makes us forget who God is, what God has done. Fear also did this to them, and it does this to us. Fear makes us control freaks. That's what fear is. Fear is a perceived loss of control. When we lose control, we try and grab onto anything that we can manage. Our diet, our cleanliness, the remote, because we don't want to, we're afraid of having to watch that show. Maybe it's controlling the thermostat, or we try and control people, or our kids, or if you're driving, it's other drivers, which is futile. The more we fear, the more we become cornered, and the meaner we become, and the more forgetful we are. The disciples had every reason to not be afraid. Matthew 4, Jesus heals the sick right before them. Right before they get in the boat, there's a leprosy healing. There's five minutes later, he scatters demons. Before this, he raised someone from the dead. All of this had happened, 
beforehand. They know who's there. They know what Jesus can do. Yet they're panicking because they forgot who was with them. For fear corrodes our concept of God's goodness. And did you see Jesus' response to them? Remember that? Matthew 8, 26. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? It's not that Jesus was being sarcastic, which is my love language. He was actually questioning them. He's not saying to another swimmer who's in the same, who's in the lake, why are you wet? He's saying, no, why are you afraid? Why did you let this fear that you have begin to control you? You know better. I say that to my son all the time when he does something not smart. And, and I'll look at him and I'll say, you, you know better than this. You know better to throw a baseball at the television. Nice arm, by the way. But don't you, you know better than this right now. A life with Jesus. And the disciples knew this. And we know this too. A life with Jesus doesn't mean that we're going to be eternally safe. Jesus' people will still, what you see in the scripture, they still get killed. Jesus' people today still get cancer. They still get malaria. Christians will still get COVID. Jesus' people will still lose their jobs, get bad reports, experience death, have sorrow. We still have seismic problems that will come to our lives that will pop up out of nowhere. Yet when we do, we still have Jesus in our boat. And he says the same thing to us. Why are you so afraid? In the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus gives 125 commands or imperatives. Out of the 125 commands or imperatives, 21 of them say, don't be afraid, fear not, take heart, be of good cheer, have courage. 21 of them. The next closest amount of commands is to love your neighbor with eight. More, 21 is more than eight, right? 21's do not fear. And that's just in the four books of the Gospels. There's debate over how many fear nots are in the scriptures. Some say it's 365, one for the every day of the year. Some say it's a lot more than that. Jesus didn't want us to be fearful. Well, here's a few of them. Matthew 10, 31. Don't be afraid. You are worth way more than the sparrows. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who will kill the body. They can't kill your soul. John 14, 27. Peace I give you. I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Matthew 24, 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed or afraid. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. Jesus, 21 times, doesn't want us to be fearful. Why? Because it doesn't bring us the life that he wanted us to have. And it doesn't bring the life that he came to bring. I've never said to Carrie, or Carrie's never said to me, man, your anxiousness is really putting a spring in your step. Way to go. She's never said to me uh, that my fear has made me a better husband. My doctors never said that my hypochondriac is my, hypochond my, my fear of getting sick. I can't even say the word. He's never said that my, that 
has caused me to be more healthy and more alive. Why? Because those fears don't make you a better spouse. They don't make you a better parent. They don't make you a better friend. They don't make you more healthy. Why do we lie? Why do then we allow ourselves to be dominated with these zapping fears that we have that steal our joy? Why do we give in to these bouts of hysteria where none of them are from God? First Tim, Second Timothy says this, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear fills our world, but it doesn't need to fill our hearts. It'll always be at the door knocking. It's very easy to be afraid. It's there. If you want to be afraid, you can do it. It's at your door, but it doesn't have to come in for dinner. Because once you allow fear to control you, it's very difficult to get away from it. I see it with my son Judah. Uh, He is afraid of our bathroom. And so am I at times. But he is afraid of it. He's afraid of it because he thinks a Yeti lives in our bathroom. You know, a Yeti, the big, big white dude, the big white furry guy. He's afraid a Yeti is in there. And I go, what are you talking about? A Yeti? Buddy, I think you're horribly misjudging the size of our bathroom and the size of the Yeti. And so all of this has made him afraid to go pee. And so he would rather sit in the hallway, do this for hours, than go in the bathroom because there's a Yeti in there. And I go, okay. And then finally, I'm tired of him being so uncomfortable. And Carrie is too. And we go, okay, bud, let's go. Come with me, he says. Okay, we'll go with you. Open the shower. The Yeti's behind there. Well, that's probably the only place a Yeti would fit. That makes sense. Open the shower. No Yeti. Just our shampoo bottles. Okay, or Carrie's shampoo bottles. And so, uh, okay, there's no Yeti in there. Look under the sink. It's a cabinet about this big. Makes no sense. Okay, there's nothing in there. What, where, look behind the door. Well, I sure hope he's not behind the door. There's no Yeti in there, but fear, once he's controlled by fear, it's impossible to convince him of anything else. And I laugh at him. And then I think, but I have my own Yetis, right? I fear of uh, being a, a bad dad and using my son as examples too much. I fear of not providing for my family. I fear of failure. I fear of being insignificant. Man, I'm a lot like Herod. Shortly after my dad died, he died of a lung disease. And shortly after he died, he died in January. In February, I got pneumonia. This was like five years ago. I contracted pneumonia, just a little little strain of it that knocked me flat. All of a sudden, I'm thinking that I have exactly what my dad has. And I'm just spinning, or what my dad had. And I'm thinking I have uh, whatever that disease was called. And I'm not going to try and say large words right now. It's not going well. And I I think I have what he has. And so I start freaking out. The doctor says, you have a small case of pneumonia. Here's some antibiotics. Go take a nap. You're fine. But the pneumonia took a while to clear like it does sometimes. And so I go back for a physical a couple months, a couple weeks later. I don't have pneumonia anymore, but the doctor wants to take a chest x-ray of me just to make sure everything's on the up and up. He looks at it and goes, oh, we need some more scans. I don't like this. You're fine. Don't worry. I heard all I heard was we need some more scans. I don't like this. I didn't hear the last part. You're fine. Don't worry. 
I start getting super afraid. I start making plans. I have what dad had. I called my mom. I told Carrie, I'm so afraid. I have interstitial fibrosis of the lungs. Even though my dad's was totally isolated or idiopathic, I thought I had it. And for about two months, I was convinced. And then I go back to the doctor and tell him, and he looks at me and goes, you know that it's impossible to get what your dad had. He had it because he grew up on a poultry farm, was in Vietnam, did construction. Do you do any of that? No. He goes, you don't have it. Still didn't work. What's he know? He's just a doctor. (laughs) I was afraid. I was gripped by fear. I wasn't able actually to see how much I was afraid until finally something came along and said, everything's fine. Even though I was told the entire time, everything is fine. So yeah, I can let my fears get the best of me. So can you. So can Herod. So can the disciples in the back of the boat. Fear affects us all. How has fear, honestly, how has fear affected your life? Have you forgotten some things? Have, has it caused you to overly manage people that you shouldn't really care to manage? Has it pulled you away from your life? Has it pulled you away from your God? We can tend to live in constant fear, but that's not the way that you and I were ever intended to live. So how do we stop from being afraid? We stop from being afraid by going to the only one who can loosen our bonds to it. Because of Christ, we experience a love that silences the seismic activities in our world. In him, our mountains of fears melt. In him, the waves settle and the pits in our stomach untie. In him, there's no fear of failure. There's no fear of insignificance. There's no fear of retribution. There's no fear in death, punishment, or yetis. In him, we find this. In 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Why? Because Jesus is perfect love and perfect love casts out fear because fear has nothing to do with Jesus and and has to do with punishment. And we don't have to be afraid of that. Herod's fear kept him from pursuing Jesus that day and saw Jesus as a threat it kept, him, it kept him beholden to fear instead of running to Jesus to settle his fears. And instead of running to Jesus to settle his fears, he ran right to his fears and fed the beast and his yeti got bigger and bigger and bigger. We can be a lot like Herod, but we don't have to be. We're going to be disturbed in this world and we have two ways to respond. We can let our fear control us or we can run to Jesus. Where do you trust? Where do you turn? They can either push us deeper into ourselves or draw us closer to the Savior. There's a story in Mark 5, as as we wrap this up, there's a story in Mark 5 about a dad whose daughter is sick. And as he comes, to, as he comes to, to meet Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter's sick. Jesus starts going there. But as he's going, there's another miracle that happens. A, a woman touches his cloak and that delays Jesus. And then there's a traffic jam on the main street in, in the town that day. And Jesus is worried about who touched him. And I could see this dad going, dude, she did it. She's fine. Let's move on. He's panicking. 
When you're a parent, you get it. When your kid's sick and when his kid is almost dying, he's got a little urgency. He's afraid. And as Jesus is sorting out this woman, which is a beautiful story about her trust coming to Jesus, overcoming her fears of what people would think of her and touching Jesus, this man gets news that his daughter died. And Jesus overhears it. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus hears the news the same time the man does. Jesus hears your fears the same times you do. And Jesus says this in Mark 5, 36, overhearing what they said, he says to the man, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus goes there. His daughter raises his daughter from the dead. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Your fears can draw you towards Jesus and belief, or they can push you away. Where is your fear leading you today? Pray with me. Jesus, we are a lot like Herod, hopefully not in the murdering part, but we're a lot like him in the fear part. We're scared. And there is a lot to be thinking of, Jesus. There is a lot of things that can take our concern and that we should rightfully be concerned of. But Lord, help that fear of even those right things that we should be concerned of. Lord, I pray that that fear doesn't control us. That we could be like the man whose daughter just died and you look at him and say, Don't fear, believe. And so Lord, in the middle of our seismic fears, may we be drawn to belief. May we be drawn to your perfect love that casts out fear, that loosens our chain, that kicks them off of our neighborhood street, that tells us that we're going to be fine. Why? Because you're in our boat with us. And if you're sleeping and resting, so can we. May we rest in your presence, rest in your promise. May we be wise in the world around us. May we be smart, but may we not be fearful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.